Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, tech fans, and welcome in to episode 138 of the Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's High Tech Studios and the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. Today, I invite you to sit back and relax as we break down yet another Virginia Tech football win from this weekend. It all gets started right now. And with that, we welcome you back in episode 138 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Do you guys know that we have nearly 10 different ways to consume the Tech Sideline Podcast? So many great ways. Watching live on Facebook, archived on YouTube, and then listening. I mean, Will's really set us up for success here. Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on Stitcher, plus the two videos. That's eight different ways that you can consume the Tech Sideline Podcast. We're glad to have you with us as we record on Monday morning, October the 5th. We've got our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart, best producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart, behind the scenes, taking your questions for Facebook Live at the end of the show. And I am your podcast host, Evan Hughes. Gentlemen. And the gnome. Don't forget the gnome. And the gnomes. We have one and two. You are holding what gnome? I believe this is this is gnome. This no, is that that's that's a terror gnome. I believe that's the terror gnome. You, and that's you, this is gnome. It would help if one of them looked terrible. Then we'd be able to remember. I think we we could do a fun podcast one day of just breaking down all <laughs> the different things that are on this podcast. Yes, set. we could actually. But whether you're listening or watching, it's great to have you with us. A reminder that the Tech Sideline Podcast is brought to you each and every week by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. The Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia, and to date, the firm has defended tens of thousands of people charged with moving violations. For a free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll-free at 1-800-680-7031 or email the Fisher Law Firm at info at fisherlegal.com. Will, Chris, good morning. I have a question for you to open things up. Was your weekend as good as Tyler Matheny's weekend? <laughs> he had a pretty good one. My, uh, mine, mine was great. Mine was perfect. Tech won on Saturday. Tottenham beat Manchester United 6-1 to one yesterday. Wow, that's high scoring for high, soccer, folks. High scoring. And uh, then, let's see. I had a steak for dinner. Had a good workout. Mm. It was can't complain. Right, about so it might the be close to Tyler Matheny. Was yeah. your weekend almost as good as Tyler Matheny's weekend? Uh, no, but I still had a good weekend. I went up to uh, um, Mountain Lake on Friday. My uh, programmer slash personal friend slash business consultant uh, John Donna came into town, and and we went hiking and talked about business. And talking to John always gets me fired up to do new things with uh, with Tech Sideline and. I won't tease any of it, but uh, I, I think, uh, yeah, I won't tease any of it, but we've got some good ideas to ramp things up here and continue improving the podcast and our offerings. And uh, 
that's stuff that's going to be unfolding over the next few months. Fantastic. Malcolm had a good weekend. He bought a new pair of shoes that he's rocking into the, the uh, high-tech studios here in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. All-around great weekend. We've got a great show planned for you today as we are going to recap Virginia Tech's 38-31 win over Duke. I'm going to remind this a couple of times throughout the podcast. We were talking before we went on the air. It's going to be hard to not jump ahead and talk about North Carolina, but we will have a North Carolina-Virginia Tech preview on Thursday. So if you have a question on that, we invite you to save it for Thursday. We're going to break down the Tar Heels Thursday today. Totally dedicated to the Hokies' win over Duke. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about the rushing attack and Khalil Herbert and uh, the start to the season that he has had for Virginia Tech. He's uh, certainly established himself as one of the best running backs in the entire country. But we're going to start today about the situation that Virginia Tech endured on Saturday. Against North Carolina State, the Hokies were without 23 players and two full-time assistant coaches. Find out an hour before kickoff officially, the Hokies were without 21 players. Their top four starting cornerbacks, both secondary coaches, that included defensive coordinator Justin Hamilton, and still the Hokies won 38-31 with a couple of walk-ons starting. Will, what was a tougher win for the Hokies, the Wolfpack or the Blue Devils, and why? Man, that's a good question. Um, I uh, I don't want this to sound wrong, but I was underwhelmed by both of those opponents. We, we, we've talked about how I think NC State coached a, a, a poor game, and they kind of proved that on Saturday by going out and beating Pitt. Um, they, they had Devin Leary at quarterback the whole game, and uh, they were a different team. Um, so I wasn't impressed with, with, with them. And, and Duke, you know, Duke turned out to be exactly what we thought they were. They were a solid team that once they stopped turning the ball over at a prodigious rate. And I, so I'm, I'm working on my Monday column, and I'm going to get into how historic Duke's 15 turnovers was it? 14 turnovers in their first three games. Mm-hmm. Um, typically schools – the worst teams in the country only finish with about 30 turnovers overall. Um, there, there's a few outliers that turn it over 38 and 40 times, but the pace Duke was on is is historically unprecedented. So you knew that wasn't going to continue, and it didn't. And they, they overall, Duke played a solid game, but I, I just thought, man, Duke's, Duke's passing game was atrocious. They just weren't able to muster anything, you know, and, and – Something that I need to finish analyzing for my article. And, and, and Chris, I'm going off on a huge tangent. I'm not even answering your question. Chris teased the game really well from the standpoint that if you go back and look at our pre- preview, he said that uh, Duke's left tackle, I don't remember his name. I don't know his name either. I'll, I'll go look it up and I'll put it in my article, that Duke's left tackle was, was not good. He was struggling. And he was Awful on Saturday. Uh, Emmanuel Belmar had a field day on him. Oh, Barno put that spin move. Amari on Barno put a spin move on him. I think that kid gave up at least four sacks, maybe more. Yeah, uh, one or two of those sacks were just the play call. Like they intentionally didn't block Belmar. That's true. That's true. And, and I remember seeing that. Right, because and then the play just didn't happen fast enough. Yeah. So, but 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 yes. Even with that, he still got abused. Yeah, so so they just had a really bad passing game. So it's it's hard for me to pick one of those teams as being better than the other. I I think that uh, NC State's the better team when Devin Leary's at quarterback. Let me uh, let me rephrase it. Given the circumstances, the Hokies were under taking away the opponents, missing twenty three players against North Carolina State, twenty one this week against Duke. 
what was tougher for Virginia Tech to go out and perform the way they did, the Wolfpack or the Blue Devils, given their circumstances as a team? I would have to say Duke because unlike, you know, they jumped on NC State 17 nothing. And, and unlike that, Duke, you know, Duke kept hanging around and, and going back to making it a one-score game. So it required Virginia Tech to respond multiple times, and they did. Plus, Virginia Tech gave up the easy touchdown early. And so to, to go into a game with basically an entire position group gutted and, and still win the football game, I think I was probably more impressed with the Duke game. Uh, you know, I think Duke was tougher from several standpoints. Number one, the emotions had worn off. That's no longer the first game, right? True. I mean, Tech was so emotional in that first game because almost everybody else had played and they hadn't, and they had been taking a lot of heat for not being able to play. And they kind of unleashed all that on NC State. And those emotional reserves are gone after that first game. And then you're playing Duke. And, you know, second, you're, a whole position group is gutted, like Will said. Not only players, but coaches as well. And then third, Virginia Tech and Duke games are always ugly. Like, even when Tech is good, 2011 Virginia Tech team that made the Sugar Bowl with, with Logan Thomas and David Wilson and Danny and Cole Jared and Jared Boykin, and Cole. they only beat Duke 14-10, to 10, okay? Uh, the 2016 team that was so good uh, only beat Duke 24-21. to 21. Uh, Jared Evans, Gerard Evans was something like 15 of 27. Completely I remember, I remember pedestrian that, game. I remember that game being a little nerve-wracking. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it was, one of those, it was one of those games where you never felt like they were going to lose, but you knew that if something crazy had happened, they might, right? But something crazy never happened. So um, that whole idea of never feeling like they were going to lose, I never felt like Virginia Tech was going to lose Saturday. Uh, same. Until they fumbled Yeah. with about, what was that, five minutes left to go maybe? Oh, they had the ball up three and, and they, they were going all, in for a score and then they fumbled right and how many times did we see that last year where the other team had to go the length of the field notre dame did it kentucky did it and then leave tech with like 30 seconds left on the clock right, right? and yeah. and so i kind of got the heebie-jeebies there and then uh, gerard hewitt put an end to that yeah he yeah. did so i think duke if you look at the tech duke series historically and the fact that a whole position group was gutted. Duke was due to not have a a big turnover game. Uh, then, then I think I think Saturday's game w- was would have been tougher, I think, to come up with like a blowout win or something. Now, I will say that it's probably not a coincidence that Duke finally had a, a, a good turnover game in a game where they were facing a secondary that started two true freshmen and a walk-on. Like, we don't know that, that Tech wouldn't have had another turnover or two with Divine Diablo out there with, with Armani Chapman and Breon Murray and guys like that. Right. So about an hour before kickoff, uh, the release came out of who Virginia Tech was not going to have available. So no Jermaine Waller, no Armani Chapman, no Breon Murray, no Devin Taylor, and no Divine Diablo. Mm. So when you got that notification an hour before kickoff, Will, what was going through your mind knowing that Tech would not have those players available in the secondary? Well, we, we already knew it. You know, we we uh, I don't. When did we find this out? We, we found out uh, between the posting of the preview and the, and the, and the recording of the podcast right. on Thursday. Because right. remember, I brought it up at the end when you were like. How do you do? You feel good about this game? And I was like, "Well, I don't, I don't feel as good as uh, as I did when I wrote the preview." Yeah. So, yeah. But but so yeah, we already knew it, and 
it was just a matter of there were there were one or two guys like like I didn't know if that Devin Taylor would be out. I, I yeah, knew that Di- was a name we had not heard. I, I, I knew Diablo would be out. I knew Chapman w- w- would be out. Um, I was pretty sure you know Breon Murray was out. Right. But 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 Devin Taylor, I was expecting it to be Devin Taylor one starting corner and then either Dorian Strong or Nadir Thompson at the other corner. Instead, we got Thompson and Strong. So if you think about it like this, man, Virginia Tech, their top five corners this year were supposed to be Caleb Farley, Jermaine Waller, Armani Chapman, Breon Murray, Murray, and Devin Taylor. Devin Taylor, if Devin Taylor had even transferred here if Caleb Farley hadn't hadn't left. But anyway, they started their sixth and seventh cornerback options on Saturday. And I know, I know everybody likes to use the, the saying next man up. Next man up. But oh, once you on. get down to six and seven, your next men are nowhere near as good. Yeah. That's So those guys held up pretty well considering they didn't even know they were going to be starting until Thursday. Um, but we're fortunate that we were playing Duke. So uh, so what went through my mind was get pressure with the front seven, um, play a good game offensively. Yeah. You might have to outscore them. And it kind of turned into that. I mean, 38-31 – these days, there are a lot of games that kind of wind up in that scoring range. But, uh, you know, historically for Virginia Tech, you know, giving up 31 and having to score 38, you know, it, 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 that, that's the stuff that went through my mind. You know, I picked the game 31-14 Tech, I think. And then as soon as we posted the preview with that prediction, we got the news that the whole secondary was out, basically. Yeah. And I'm like, they're going to score more than 14. Yes. Uh, but then the first half of the game happened, and I'm like – you know what? They're probably not going to score more than fourteen. They look absolutely terrible, and we look really good. <laughs> but uh, but they, you know, they did. It turned into a high-scoring game, which uh, you know, I would have I would have picked them to score an extra touchdown or two, probably, if I had known when I wrote the preview. Yeah, yeah. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about the story of this game. That was Khalil Herbert and the rushing attack once again. But just wrapping up the the situation uh, defensively, Tyler Matheny. Uh, seven tackles, two of which were for losses. Also had an interception. One of those TFLs should have been a sack. Yeah, uh, um, I, I, I traded some DMs with Damian Salas, and they they kind of went back and forth about that. And he said the Virginia Tech coaching staff that that Duke said it was it was a design run play. It was no way. Um, but he said that Virginia Tech coaching staff did not fuss about it after reviewing film. Well, they they do their own stats anyway. Come but. Also in this conversation with Damien, there are times where he gets feedback from the coaches, uh, and and he got in in, in particular into a conversation with the coaches about, honestly, I didn't even watch this play, the previous game where I think NC State was onside kicking or something like that, and and Tavion Robinson knocked the ball out of bounds. There was a lot of back and forth between Damien and the coaching staff once the play was reviewed about – you know how do you how do you classify that play? Is it a two yard rushing loss for Robinson? Right. Is it a team thing? So they do pay attention, and it does matter, right? Oh, yeah. It absolutely does. A couple of other stats: uh, so Matheny with those seven tackles, nonetheless. Dorian Strong had five tackles. Evaluating the job those players did in the secondary, what kind of grade would you give them given the circumstances? Given the circumstances, you know they probably get a B plus or an A minus or something like that. Um, Dorian Strong would be Virginia Tech's probably sixth or seventh cornerback this year. He would be redshirting. Uh, I mean, the guy is basically Greg Stroman at the same stage. I mean, Stroman returned punts as a true freshman, but he did not get on the field at cornerback at all because he wasn't big enough and strong enough at that point. And Stroman didn't become a good football player, a good cornerback, until later his sophomore year. 
that, that's when things started turning around for him. Um, Stroman should be in a normal year. Stroman would be redshirting, um, and and it's not even no doubt about that. Strong would be redshirting. Strong, did you? Yeah. Strong, Stroman. Strong, Stroman. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Anyway, Strong would be redshirting in a normal year. Uh, so it, I think it's a credit that he was able to play as well as he did. You see some, you know, potential there, of course. Yeah. Um, but is he going to be ready for North Carolina's receivers? Probably not. Um, the big thing is I, I didn't see anywhere. I, I didn't see any blown coverages. Right. You know, the, the NC State pit game started out with a 75-yard touchdown or something by, like that by Pitt where it was a tremendous blown and, coverage. The and, guy was all by and, himself. And at that point, you're like, man, NC State is really bad. That yeah. win last week doesn't mean much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so given the circumstances as well, the first two weeks of the season, Justin Hamilton not on the sidelines, not available to coach as a defensive coordinator, given the circumstances for that staff, what kind of grade would you give the defensive side of the ball, those coaches, for the job they've done in the first two weeks? That is a good question. Um, the coaches, I, I don't hmm. – I mean – Ryan some of Smith those, was unavailable well, this past well, week know, as well as Hamilton. What grade do you give Ryan Smith when he's only coached in one game? What 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 grade do you give Tracy Clays when he's only coached? And that's in one the thing. Game, Given those right? circumstances, if right. you would have known that before the season, would you have expected oh. this team to be two and zero, considering the fact you've had all those coaches out? Maybe for the not. First two weeks. M- maybe not. I, I know. <laughs> I know coaches are important. And I don't. I don't think fans are, are giving. I would give them probably an A minus. By the way, um, I don't think fans, generally speaking, unless they've played football before, understand the conditioning and the practice aspect of it. Um, like, like you can't just snap your fingers. You can't go run sprints for a few days and get conditioned, right? Conditioning is a year-round, every, everyday thing. Um, I used to run – I ran track in the spring just to stay in shape for football. I didn't care about track. Um, but, you know, back then there was no year-round strength and conditioning program, especially at the high school level. You had to find ways to do it on your own, and the best way for me to do it was to run track. But, you know, I remember my junior year, like, getting hurt the first game of the season, and I hurt my shoulder. I didn't know it till I woke up the next morning and I couldn't raise my arm, right? So I ended up missing two or three weeks, and when, and I was able to run a little bit, but when I came back, I was nowhere near as good. It, it took me a long time a while because I was just out, out of shape, out of rhythm. Um, so when a, when a guy like Khalil Herbert misses 14 days or whatever he missed and you wonder why he only got nine carries against NC State or why Raheem Blackshear returned to action the day before the NC State game and he didn't look quite as good as you thought he was going to look. Well, these guys hadn't been practicing. You know, Virginia Tech's defensive line, man, Worn down. The whole defense is worn down. Rayshard Ashby just just right now a shadow of his former. Yeah, self. he doesn't have the same pop. He's he not. In, has. Well, he's not in shape. And, and mean, Dax also does not look sharp to me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Ashby is a guy. You know, he's a, he's a big guy to begin with. So he's he need he's a guy who needs to be running every day to stay in shape um, because he's teetering on on, on the brink. Um, but he wasn't able to do that. Um, he was out at least 10 days. Somebody said he, it turned out to be a lot more than 10 days because he had to wait for 
He had to he had to wait on his appointment for the doctor to get the heart thing. Yeah. I don't understand how that's an issue with the Power Five level of football, but apparently is at Virginia Tech. I'm guessing it's not at some other schools. Might be the local medical resources. Probably. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure that's absolutely it. Yeah. You know, I would imagine like in the research triangle or something like that, where you've got the Duke Hospital, you got UNC. Yeah. You know, I imagine that that that's easy to get down there. Um, so. Tech, his defense has gotten gassed the last two weeks in the second half, particularly this past week. So I would probably get, like I said, A- minus overall, considering everything they've had to deal with. No coaches, not being in shape, all that stuff. So let's let's get one point out there. Um, these uh, This latest round of contact tracing and positives. And by the way, from what we're told, most of what went on with the defensive backfield was positives. It was not contact tracing. Yeah. So uh, that is from the Wednesday test. And when you test positive, you have a 10-day quarantine. Um, so that's cutting it really close to being able to play against UNC for the guys that were out. So just kind of file that away. People are asking us, you know, who's going to be out for the UNC game? I'm not exactly sure. Um, they're out. Uh, I mean, like Friday would be nine days. Yeah. Um, you know, even if they got cleared, like Friday would be nine days and you have to test the day before the game anyway. So I, just, I don't, I don't see how that's possible. Um, but we there, there, was, there was a rumor yesterday that at least one of those tests was like a false positive. Right. I have no idea if that's true. And, uh, or I don't know if there are ACC rules on false positive. I don't even know how you determine what a false positive is or anything like that. I, I think you follow up with a more sophisticated, more precise test. Right. Well, yeah. if anybody was false positive, that's a shame because then they missed a football game for no reason, right? But, um, from, but from the macro standpoint, Tech won anyway. Right. They won, but these guys need to be playing and get in shape. Yeah. Right. Well, certainly one of the story of the uh, stories of the last two weeks has been Virginia Tech's ability to win games with uh, not being at full strength on both sides of the ball, not having their full coaching staff. And certainly one of the other main stories of this football team has been Khalil Herbert, the transfer running back from Kansas. Will has printed out for those watching all of these wonderful stats. We have done our homework, and we are going to spend a lot of time talking about Khalil Herbert and the Virginia Tech rushing game. So against Duke, Herbert. Over 200 yards rushing and over 350 all-purpose yards. Khalil Herbert now leads the country in all-purpose yards per game. And on Saturday against Duke, set a Virginia Tech record with 357 all-purpose yards. He is number one nationally with 156 yards per game. Average, Will, I want you to fill in the blank for me here. Khalil Herbert is the best Virginia Tech running back since blank. I think David Wilson. Um, I, I spent some time looking at this. So this printout that, we, that we've got here, this is, this is a, a big table. And so here's, gosh, there's so much we can talk about. Where do I start? Um, first of all, he was originally credited with 20 carries for 208 yards. One of those carries was incorrectly attributed. That was actually a one-yard rush by Raheem Blackshear. So the official, and these stats are being corrected with the NCAA, the official rushing total is 19 carries for 207 yards. Hmm. Which So if you saw the 358 all-purpose yards immediately after the game, that's actually 357. 
Um, so there's that. Uh, and so what I've started watching, and by the way, it's, it's, uh, it's fairly common for statistics to statistics to be incorrect in the heat of the moment. Uh, I used to, uh, I used to really pour over play-by-play as I was watching the game. So I'd print out the play-by-play into an Excel spreadsheet and I would watch the game and I would take notes on almost every play. And I used to pick up a lot of mistakes and, and I'd email Dave Smith back when he was the SID and I'd say, Hey, this play is incorrect. And, um, I remember one of the worst, one of the worst, uh, crews about it was the road games at Boston college. They would routinely make a ton of mistakes. And in my conversation with uh, some people at Tech, they're like, yeah, yeah, BC does make a lot of mistakes. So Duke uh, incorrectly attributed a uh, one of Raheem Blackshear's rushes to uh, Khalil Herbert. And there was another one I don't recall that, that was incorrectly uh, classified. So they correct that stuff later. Um, so the, uh, the record for yards per carry average is Maurice Williams in 1986 with 6.36. And... Maurice had something like 186 rushes that year. So this is a large body of work where he averaged 6.36 yards per carry. And I think it's really impressive because Virginia Tech wasn't a very good passing team back then. Um, The 1986 team had one of the better passing attacks under Bill Dooley because Eric Chapman was a pretty good quarterback and he had Donald Wentznell was one of his receivers. So they they cobbled together a better passing game than usual that year. Uh, But uh, so the 6.36 is impressive. And so now, two games in, I'm watching Khalil Herbert to see where that statistic goes with him. It's currently at 12.44 yards per carry. Um, so he's he's way ahead, let's put it that way. So this giant chart, and I'm going to get to answering your question about he's the best running back since who. Um, you look at this giant chart, and, uh, of course, no one's gone over six yards per carry since Maurice Williams did it in 1986. A couple of guys have gotten close. Uh, so let's go with Ken Oxendine in 1996, 5.93 yards per carry. And that was a really good offensive line that year. Dominant. Yeah, yep. that, we, that we've talked about. Um, and then the next one, you know, Lee Suggs and Kevin Jones were around five and a half yards a carry. Now, Kevin Jones in 2003, another year with a good offensive line and, and a pretty decent passing attack. Uh, Kevin averaged 5.86 yards per carry and I remember kind of watching Kevin that year and thinking man he's, he's up there he might be able to do something here so then you got a bunch in the fours and you've even got Brandon Orr as good as Brandon Orr was in 2000 let me make sure I got this right in 2007 he was Tech's leading rusher at only 3.72 remember he was out of shape yeah that, that year that's right yeah. yeah that that was a whole thing yeah <laughs> And then you had uh, you had the the two thousand eight nine ten run of Ryan Williams and Darren Evans and David Wilson, and and Ryan Williams, who I consider to be, if you asked me to pick one Virginia Tech running back from history to be your running back, it would be Ryan Williams, um, for one game. You know, really, just to just have as your number one running back. The one thing Ryan Williams lacked was elite top end speed. He had decent speed in the open field, but, man, he had everything else in spades. He had vision, escapability, shiftiness. He had power. There's the famous clip of him dragging the NC State defender into the end zone because that guy could get low to the ground and churn. Um, So Ryan Williams in 2009 was 5.65. Darren Evans in the following year was 5.66. 
And then David Wilson in 2011, the, the last really top-end running back I think Tech had, David Wilson was 5.89 yards a carry. And what – and again, I'm still answering your question in a roundabout way. What David Wilson suffered from was a tremendous lack of vision. Uh-huh. If he had the vision of Ryan Williams or Khalil Herbert – he would have gone well over 2,000 yards Absolutely. that year. Yeah. You know? I actually almost wrote that in my article yesterday. Yeah. But it was 3,000 words, and I had to stop at some point. So I'll, I'll, well, actually, I talked about Khalil Herbert for a while in my article, and, and maybe I'll go back and add some stuff to it. But, uh, you know, Wilson was just – he would run up the back of his offensive lineman. He, he just didn't have the vision, but he had tremendous oh, speed. He'd, he'd get it when he got in the open field. I mean, he 1,700 yards in 2011, only scored nine touchdowns. Because yeah. whenever he got in the open field, he'd run into Jared Boykin's back. Right. Or something you know, like it, that. It, it, like, it's like 15 yards now. Uh, he, he was a freak athlete, but he had no vision and no feel. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we're not trying to turn this into a David Wilson hating <laughs> contest because he's a great – We back. love David Wilson. He's a great athlete. But – Khalil, but like Khalil Herbert doesn't have his athleticism, but he's more of a natural, instinctive runner. So yeah, so let me keep breaking it down for you. If you look at David Wilson, tremendous speed, and and I think the one thing that's underappreciated about Wilson was his balance. Mm-hmm. I remember in particular one of the Georgia Tech games. It may have been 2011. I put together some highlight clips of Wilson taking hits in the open field and just bouncing and keeping going. So he was really underrated for that, but terrible vision. And so you you look at Khalil Herbert and what I see after watching this game and and the ACC Digital Network put together a nice little highlight package uh, for him from this game. His vision is tremendous. Um, I love the fact that he goes to the sideline and then turns it up and ekes out a few more yards. His burst, I'm not going to say his acceleration, just his burst is, is tremendous. You watch him and you think to yourself, there might be a hole there. Oh, look, he's through it. Or he's going around the end and you're like, huh, those guys got the angle on him. Oh, no, they don't. And then he gets out in the open field and, again, not elite speed, but just good enough. So he is a, he's a great, he's a better combination of vision, balance, power, and pretty good speed. Than, than we've seen in a while. Mm-hmm. So that's my long-winded take on that. Yeah, I would agree with all that. Um, the only thing I can add is, you know, everybody always wants to, whenever, whenever a new tech player becomes very good, people Comparing. always ask the question, who, do, which tech player does he remind you of in the past? And Darren Evans. A lot of times there's no answer. Not, not for me. Darren was six foot, 230 pounds. Uh, from an athleticism standpoint you know maybe evans is a good comparison but shiron stith is the one he reminds me of stith was about five nine 205 210 pounds low center of gravity like that like there was like shiron stith was not you know if, if this was ncaa football he's not going to rate above like a 90 on it on anything but he was just good across the board and, and that's kind of what what herbert is i think watching the game on saturday in which he rushed over 200 yards see i was too young to remember this but Darren Evans' game against Maryland in which he ran over 250 yards. Was that the closest type of excellent running game from an individual player you've seen from a Tech player since that Darren Evans in, game? In a while, yes. Um, and uh, I, I remember a lot of uh, a lot of runs around. The, Evans was good at finding the hole on the perimeter and getting to the sideline in, in that game in particular, if, if I remember, you know, and – and, and I would say that the, the closest parallel is Evans to, to Herbert. And Herbert, as a so far, 
has a much better offensive line than what Darren Evans ran behind. Yeah, that, that that's certainly accurate. And I would be interested to see a breakdown of the stats half by half or quarter by quarter because the Tech offense didn't do much in the first half, including the running game. It kind of seems seems like these, you know, 207 yards or whatever. It seemed like they all came in like a quarter and a half. Now, I, Just, do, ha- I do have a note to kind of look at that right. because I think a major point in – and you brought this up in your article, a major point moving forward is uh, what you like about a rushing attack that Tech has is, is you can wear people down with it. And certainly, and, and Mark Herslick in, in his analysis for the ACC Network touched upon this. I think it was Herbert's last touchdown, the 20-some yarder. Um, Herslick said, Duke is getting tired. See how they're sticking to blocks? They're not getting off blocks. And that's a really good point in – and so I would I would tell Virginia Tech fans keep an eye on that the rest of the mm-hmm. season. Um, UNC uh, we said we weren't going to get into UNC, but but you know this is actually true for the rest of the season. UNC is going to put a lot of pressure on Virginia Tech offensively. Don't flip out if the Hokies get down by a score or two, because if the pattern continues, Virginia Tech will get stronger as the game goes on with the rushing attack. Yeah, that's accurate. Like 1996. You know, I clearly remember that game. Right. Virginia Tech played four really good teams to end, end the season and beat all of them. Three of them, three of those games, the Russian attack offensive line really took over in the second half. Yeah. You know, back then Tech had five offensive linemen over 300 pounds, which was unheard of back then. Yeah. And all of their running backs were between 225 and 240 pounds. I mean, they were – for that era, that was just insane. That would be like these days having – five 335-pound offensive linemen and three 250-pound running backs. It was just unheard of back then. And Tech would just wear people down in, in the second half. You know, they were they were beating, I think, East Carolina by four at halftime and then beat them by 21 or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. And then they were, they were up by West Virginia on 10, by 10 and beat them by 17. They were losing to UVA 9-7 to and beat them 26-9. And what I remember about those games is – the, you know, the further the game went along, the more that that running game would just wear teams out in the second half. And, that you know, we've seen that. Uh, we saw it especially against Duke. Uh, if you read Brandon Patterson's TSL Pass, excellent preview on Friday, um, he said Duke only goes three deep at defensive tackle, and one of those guys is 255 pounds. Yeah. So it's not a surprise, yeah. If, yeah. if you read that. So real quick to wrap up uh, again for those watching this whole sheet that uh, will print, and, and I'll include the same table in my article today this afternoon. Looking forward to that article. Uh, that'll be so, uh, certainly a great read. You look at these numbers from 2008: Darren Evans, 4.41 yards a carry; 2009: Ryan Williams, 5.65 yards per carry; then Darren Evans in 10, 5.66 yards per carry, and then the best on this chart was David Wilson in 2011, 5.89 yards per carry. Put that into perspective, 2020 Khalil Herbert, 12.44 yards per carry. Two games in, but that was one of the best stretch of Virginia Tech's running backs over a three, four-year period. And, and just look, here's the here's the point I want to make. Since 2012, in three seasons, Virginia Tech has had a rusher fail to gain 600. Their leading rusher has not gained My 600 gosh. yards, right? So, so Logan Thomas in 2012, 524 yards, leading rusher. J.C. Coleman, 2014, 533 yards, leading rusher. Deshaun McLeese, 2017, 530 yards, leading rusher. Herbert's already at 311 yards. He's already well over halfway 
to each one of those guys who were leading rushers for Virginia Tech in their respective seasons. Yeah. I mean, Let just, me pick this up real quick because I've got a stat that kind of goes along with that. This is from uh, David Hale who tweeted this out an hour ago. Again, I know a lot of numbers, but I do find this very interesting. So he tweeted, Virginia Tech yards per rush after contact there on non-quarterback go. runs. So I'll repeat that. Virginia Tech yards per rush after contact on non-quarterback runs. 2014, 2.12. 2015, 1.78. 2016, 1.59. 2017, 1.74. 2018, 2.72. 2019, 2.56. 2020 through two games, 5.77. Big difference. So, you know, that's 60-yard run. He went through the hole. He cut it back and went through the hole. And there was a defensive lineman or a linebacker who got his hands on Herbert. And that brings down Deshaun McLeese at 180 pounds or whatever. Yeah. It's not going to bring down a big boy like, like Herbert. Um, and, and then he, he got further down the field. And, again, a defensive back leaped out at him and got his hands on him. But you're not, you're not stopping him with hands, man. Last thing from David Hale. From 2011 to 2019, Virginia Tech had a player reach 100 rush yards while averaging – 10 yards per rush in a game just twice. J.C. Coleman in 2012 and Deshaun McLeese last year. Khalil Herbert has done it in each of his first two games this season. Hmm. Yep. So I know that's a lot of numbers being thrown at you, but I certainly think it puts into perspective just how good Khalil Herbert has been the first two games. And this rushing attack. Hokies over 300 yards as a team first two games of the season. Yeah, and, and the number three rushing attack in the country now in yards behind per game. Behind only two service Behind a couple academies. of option teams, yeah. uh, service academies. Um, so one guy that we're not bringing up in this discussion is Trayvon McMillian, and, and Trayvon was the last rusher to have 100 yards in two consecutive games for Virginia Tech. Of course, that was under Frank Beamer. Uh, this is the first time Fuente has had a guy go over 100 yards two games in a row. Um. So one of the questions that gets asked is when, when Justin Fuente has, uh, why has he not had a better rushing attack or a featured running back? Is it because he just, that's the way he is as a coach, or has he not had the guy so far? It looks like he's got the guy. And so, but let's not, not discount Raheem Blackshear here. His, his yards per carry is not that great, but if you go and you watched you watch the uh, condensed version of the game that's on the ACC Digital Network. You know, Blackshear's no slouch. He uh, he um, has very good vision between the tackles for a guy who's not real big. He also ran over that linebacker. Do you remember that play? I do Just, not recall oh that Oh, my play. gosh. It was, it was their uh, – it wasn't uh, their middle linebacker. It was their other linebacker, I think. But uh, he ran through a hole one time, and they pointed this out on the broadcast. He's 194 pounds. That yeah. linebacker's like 230, and Blackshear just trucked him. Yeah. And then he had that spin move later in the game. And he tweeted after the game, he's like, he said, just about to start getting in a rhythm. Because remember what I said earlier? Yeah. He missed at least 10 to 14 days before the NC State game. He didn't come back to practice until the day before the NC State game. I mean, he's not – He's not there yet, so it, it's the the right. Don't don't sleep on Raheem. Blackshear. Right, exactly. Well, one position group uh, that has had a lot of grit uh, the last couple <laughs> of weeks: the offensive line, which we will transition talk to in just a moment. But it's time to bring up our friends at Grit. We've got great grit gear on the podcast. Will and I will uh, two of us throw on the hat here, and I've got the mask, of course. You do have the mask. It looks good. 
So, uh, again, on desktop, just go look at the site. There's grit gears in the border. If you're on your phone, which is like well over half our traffic for a couple of years now, because we finally got a decent mobile site <laughs> a couple of years ago, um, hit the uh, more menu and our sponsors, and you'll find grit there. So, so talking about the offensive I'm line, keeping of the course, hat on, man. Keep it on. It looks great. Um, 314 rushing yards against North Carolina State. Brock Hoffman, ACC Offensive Lineman of the Week. A couple of words that have been thrown around around fans. I think we even talked about last week. It seems like Hoffman's brought a level of nastiness to the offensive line. Did you think it would carry over like you did for the North Carolina State game? So two-part question. That and B, are you buying this offensive line completely two games into the season? I mean, I think you have to buy them at this point. I, I, I think... They're not going to rush for 319 yards a game, although I sat here last week and said they're not going to do that again, and then they did it the very next yeah. week, so who knows. But, yes, they're, they're a very good group. I don't think there's much question about it. The very, very early preliminary PFF grades have kind of done what I said they would. Like, Hoffman was the low grader on the offensive line last week. Well, this week he's the second highest grader. And Tenuta faced a much, much better player this week than he did last week, and his grade dropped off a bit, although he still played well. He's going up well. against uh, Victor DiMicaggi. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so you gotta you got to let those grades uh, – you got to let some evidence add Settle up before you really time. judge them. But, but, right, exactly. So, But still, yeah, they're, 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 they're a really good group. And, and, you know, offensive lines make running backs look better, but running backs also make offensive lines look better. You know, so a couple of those Khalil – Herbert touchdown runs, you know, there may be five yard gains with a with a back who doesn't have that that type of vision, right? And so let's both. give props to the wide receiver block. Oh, they, they, yeah. the, I'm actually going to touch on that and inside the numbers this week because I, I was concerned losing Damon Hazleton. You know, everybody knows how well he catched the ball in the end zone um, over defensive backs and everything like that. But he was an exceptional blocker for the most part when he when he wanted when he to. wanted to be right. Yeah. Right, there were a time or two. I remember he cost Kishon King a touchdown down at Georgia Tech last year. But uh, other than that, you know, very, very good blocker. So I was concerned that, gosh, who, who's going who's gonna to do that? Because Trey Turner's not – I mean, Trey's not nearly as big as Hazleton. He's tall, but he's not big. And, and you know, Tavion – I've seen Trey just get overpowered sometimes. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. And that hasn't happened this year. Yeah. Um, those guys, they their grades were really good. Uh, in, in the run game against NC State, I it's still, the preliminary grades are only out now for Duke, but it appeared to be good w- uh, watching it live. So, yeah. uh, so I'm I'm pretty pleased with. I mean, I think everybody's doing their part blocking. And you get you got to give Caleb Smith props. Uh, go back and watch the Braxton Burmeister touchdown run. Oh, yeah. and, and Smith is is blocking all the way down to the goal line mm-hmm. and clearing the way. Well. Um, yeah, not not a ton of talk about the receivers because just how good the uh, the uh, running backs were, but a great point. I think NCAAF Nation, that Twitter account, actually put a couple of videos out of the receivers blocking. There was mm-hmm. one in particular. It might have been that touchdown run for yeah. Burmeister of Caleb Smith on the outside blocking. So uh, there was a lot to talk about the offense still. We're over halfway done in the podcast, and we have not really mentioned Braxton Burmeister and the quarterbacks. We will get to that in just a moment. We're going to step aside for a break here on the Tech Sideline Podcast. When we come back, we talk about Braxton Burmeister and when will Hendon Hooker return. You're watching and listening to episode 138 of the Tech Sideline Podcast brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm. 
If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Your official law firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go Hokies. And we welcome you back to the Tech Sideline Podcast. It's so great to have you with us as we record on Monday morning, October the 5th, breaking down Virginia Tech's 38-31 win over Duke. We've got Chris Coleman, Will Stewart, Malcolm Stewart. I'm Evan Hughes. A reminder, if you're watching live on Facebook, to drop us a question. We are going to save the North Carolina questions for our podcast on Thursday. We invite you to either watch live or watch archived or listen to that on Thursday. We will break down the Tar Heels, but focusing solely on Saturday's win over Duke. So if you have a question about that, a certain player, we'll get to those at the end of the show. Yeah, typically we talk about quarterbacks pretty early in the yeah. podcast, but uh, we are about 40 minutes in, and we are now talking about Braxton Burmeister and Virginia Tech's quarterbacks for the first time on the podcast. Final stat line for Burmeister in the 38-31 win over Duke. Through the air, not as good as a North Carolina State where he was 7 of 11. He was 9 of 25 against Duke, 163 yards, a touchdown and a pick that happened late in the first half. On the ground, Burmeister 14 carries. 43 yards and two touchdowns. Is that right? Will, what would you make of Burmeister's numbers? And when should we expect Hendon Hooker to return? Uh, so, you know, one of the things we've repeated is that uh, um, we've heard through the grapevine that Hooker is better in the passing game and Burmeister is better in the running game. And so far that that's been absolutely accurate. And it's not just a question of how, how well does he run the football? How well does the rushing offense work when he's the quarterback? And uh, clearly it works really well. And he's got excellent speed in the running game. Burmeister does. He's got good vision, you know, not a powerful guy because he's not very big. And, you know, you know, most quarterbacks, you don't sit there and evaluate them are they there are very few Quincy Patterson's in this world and very few Logan Thomas's (laughs) and Logan was more of a battering ram anyway um so uh really satisfied in the running game now what I'm not a savvy enough football observer to know is um you know he did only throw the ball 11 times against NC State so I'm not sure how much you could pick up off of film but I felt like and, and again this is kind of kind of a layman's view I felt like watching early in the game that what they were giving him to work with in the passing game just didn't play to his strengths. It, it, I thought it was too much downfield stuff. Um, I felt like a lot of one-on-one balls. Yeah, you know, well, so so I'm, I'm still kind of scratching my head trying to learn there, but 9 for 25 speaks for itself. That's pretty rough. Um, and the, the one interception he did throw, man, that that was atrocious. Um, <laughs> it got away from It's him. almost like, did that ball slip out of his hands? Yeah, it had to. <laughs> like, if you watch the view behind him, it just the ball came out of the his hand. The trajectory changes, up. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, so it's interesting. Um, it'll be interesting to see. You're asking when do you think you'll see Hendon Hooker back? Um, you know, I don't think there's anything sinister and insidious going on on there. I think the word is just they just didn't feel like he was quite ready. You mm-hmm. know, and if you paid attention uh, as they went into halftime, they asked Justin Fuente kind of about the offense, and I think about Burmeister. And Burmeister had been struggling with the passing game, and Fuente brushed it off. He's like, oh, he's doing fine. You know, he's running. He he didn't want to have any of that. Um, 
that doesn't mean that he won't try to find some sort of balance moving forward. It's, it's just going to be interesting because they're going to need more in the passing game against UNC, uh, I, th- I think, than they got. So it'll be interesting to see how Fuente plays it. And, and I think you'll see Hooker on uh, on Saturday against UNC. Yeah, and, and when we say Burmeister is better in the running game, we, just, we don't just mean that he's faster. I mean, he is faster, but that's yeah. – Ron Willis was fast. That doesn't mean he was good in the running game. Couldn't couldn't make a read to save his life. Right. Um, now, Hooker was a big, big, big improvement on Ryan Willis when it came to decision-making on the read option. But Burmeister is truly on another level, it looks like. I mean, that, it seems like he's making the right decision. And the timing, the ti- I can't stress enough how, how important timing is when you decide to keep it or give it up. I mean, is is a big is a big influence on on how the play goes, and I just think Burmeister he appears to have a great feel for all of that. So we talk about the offensive line, we talk about the running backs, but on a successful sixty-yard touchdown run or whatever by Khalil Herbert, you know, if the timing isn't right on the handoff and the right decision isn't made, then that play never happens, right? Just just freeze so, that defensive so, end right. a little longer, freeze right. those linebackers a little right, longer. Right, right, exactly. So when the so when we say Fuente feels like Burmeister's better in the running game. He's really talking about that. Um, so, I do, Hendon, I do believe, you know, we have to find a way to get more balanced. So, I, I do support Hendon as, you know, being the starting quarterback next week if he's physically fit and he's mentally into practice and not rusty and everything like that. I do think the passing game would go better. But at the same time, I don't know that the running game would be quite as good yeah. either. And that's not a knock on Hendon. I just think Burmeister is exceptional at it. Yeah. And with regards to the passing game, you know, Burmeister got here last August. And on August 9th, found out he was ineligible. So a, couple, a week or two after that, you start preparing for the Boston College game. And Burmeister goes to scout team. He goes from working in Virginia Tech's offense to – and throwing to Virginia Tech's normal starting wide receivers to go into the scout team and throwing to scout team, scout team receivers, you know, walk-ons. And, and mimicking the other team's so offense. So basically if you're on the scout team, it's like you're on another team during the season. Yeah. Um, so he does that and probably only had about three weeks to actually work with Tech's receivers and run the Tech offense last season in, in full situations. Yeah. Um, that was supposed to happen in the spring, and then it didn't happen. And everybody, obviously, you know, fall camp was different. Uh, the team wasn't here all summer working out together like they normally are. Um, and, you know, in the past, you know, we've seen Tech's quarterbacks and receivers get a lot of work done together over the summer. That wasn't able to happen this year. Um, then you fast forward to August players are in and out you don't know who's got COVID what what week or who has out with contact tracing Burmeister himself was out at one point he did not get cleared to return until the Sunday before the NC State game so yes he's been here for a year but not really so and and I'm sorry uh the passing game passing games are about timing and cohesiveness and these guys he hasn't been in the system long enough considering he didn't he considered he missed spring practice and you know practice has been broken up ever since then that no matter who's playing quarterback for Virginia Tech right now the passing game is probably not going to be as smooth as it was last year yeah 
and he didn't play all that much football before he got here. Right. right. You know, really, this, just 2017, early right. on in his Oregon five, five starts, yeah. Yeah, so. th- th- this is a new quarterback. Uh, one thing I do want to mention before we uh, move on from the offense completely, a text from Damian Salas uh, in the middle of the podcast that okay. I thought would uh, provide some context. Quit, quit talking so, about him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so Virginia Tech rushing by quarter against Duke, and I think this go. kind of goes in with awesome. Burmeister and how he, uh, you know, help, help facilitate you know the offense and, and running the ball, so to speak. First quarter, 28 yards. Second quarter, 55 yards. So that means the Hokies got to halftime with a total of, what, 83 yards? Fewer than 100 rushing yards, right. yeah. Third quarter, 101 yards. Fourth quarter, 138 yards. Boom, told you. That's what you want to yeah, say, They ran man. for yeah. well over 200 yards in the second half. And mm. Burmeister certainly gets some credit for that in, yeah. in, in the running game. So, But uh, thanks for that text, Damien, and thanks for adding some context. So, okay, uh, we're going to get to your questions here in just a moment on Facebook Live. But – I do want to transition to defense real quick. We talked about it in the beginning of the podcast, so the Hokies were missing 21 players, a lot of players in the secondary. I want to talk about the defensive line for a second. Uh, under a new new coaching on the defensive line, no Charlie Wiles, now we've got Daryl Tapp and uh, Bill Tierling, TNT. Seven sacks on Saturday. Uh, the numbers were terrific uh, in, in the in the. Uh, in the box score with three sacks for uh, Emmanuel Belmar right. and two sacks for uh, Amari Barno. So how would you evaluate the, the job the D-line did Ooh, let me considering go, let me the fact that the secondary was banged up? So uh, I, I made mention of this earlier in the podcast. Chris nailed it. He said uh, Justice Reed is going to be going against a better blocker this week. And, and I thought that cut his production a little bit. And, and Belmar had a field day against their, against their left Early tackle. on, too, had a sack on third down to begin the game. So, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, and when, I'm, when I'm done yammering, Chris, I want your input on this. Uh, Belmar just looks like a much better player to me. He looks more explosive. He's always been, you know, solid at, at, the, at the point of attack. But he just, he just has more explosiveness well, to him. he might just be a better fit for this system. Yeah, and when, yeah. when it's easier to play faster when you're more confident in what you're doing. Yeah. So, um, so there's that. Uh, Amari Barno, while the stats are good, pay attention to him in the running game. He he gets he gets controlled in the running game. Um, so he's almost like a Daddy Nicholas kind of guy that you've got to find a way to use his athleticism. And the and I, th- I think they did that in spots. I don't think you're going to see him play a lot moving forward because teams are going to sniff out to run at him when he's in there. Um, so let's see. We haven't talked about the defensive tackles at all. Gerard Hewitt um, is he, – he really – I thought he had the best game on the defensive line. I don't even know what the stats are. I just thought he made plays at important times when they needed to be made, and he set the tone. He certainly did after that fumble. Yes. Five tackles and a tackle and a half for loss. Yeah. Numbers for Hewitt. Um, he, he, he really – is he a junior or a senior? I believe he's a senior. He's a senior, but you can call him a junior because he can come back next year. That's true, to. you know, and and he is exactly the kind of guy. I don't know where he is academically, but he's exactly the kind of guy that could benefit from, or Virginia Tech could benefit from him having another year. He's not likely to go pro after this year. I'm, I'm not sure he's an NFL level guy no. ever. No. So he's a guy that this is perfect for. He's he's. I think he's really hitting his stride. He's always been a hard worker and a great team leader and all that stuff. He's really starting to hit his stride from a production standpoint. And to be able to have that another year would be great. 
it would be like having Stephen Peoples for another year. He never redshirted. Ah, no. He finally was. This is going to get Chris going. Right he was now. finally his best as a senior. Imagine and I remember Stephen Chris Peoples, saying, Stephen, should, Stephen he should Peoples be here and another Herbert year. The same backfield. <laughs> <laughs> Can I, just a total side note. For those who have watched and listened to the podcast, that's one of my favorite Chris Coleman moments of this podcast, talking about Peoples and not redshirting and special teams early that's in his true, career. man. It is one of my that's, favorite it's, it's Chris Coleman moments. No, Peoples and Herbert would not have been in the same backfield. They, they wouldn't. Yeah, I'm just saying. Yeah. Uh, but, hey, Chris, let me let me ask you this question. So, seven sacks again. Final numbers: Ashby had a sack, two sacks for Amari Barno, one for Narell Pollard. It was a big one late in the fourth quarter, and then three for Emmanuel Belmar. Can you see a difference in this defensive line early with Tier Lincoln Tap rather than the previous? I don't team? have an eye for the X's and O's like that. At least not as far as defensive line techniques and and everything. Um, so Brandon Patterson, if you're listening, drill down into that. Yeah. That's a good question for him. Yeah. Um, we've had two games now, so maybe he's more comfortable doing it now than, than he would have been after after one game. Um, he, he did it a little bit last week um, in, in his post-game NC State article. I don't, I don't know. It, it's so hard to say because, like, what Virginia Tech is doing right now might be different than what they're doing from – Two year, two or three years from now, when like Tap and Tierlink have recruited their own types of defensive when, linemen, when, like when Virginia big, Tech yeah. right now is recruiting tall defensive ends, yeah. and so, and I I suspect that like as well as Jared Hewitt's playing this year, he's six one, two hundred eighty pounds, and I suspect he's going to be. I don't know that Virginia Tech will uh, will. Will ever recruit a six-one, two hundred eighty-pound defensive tackle as if with Tap and Tierlink being yeah. here, right? I, just, I don't think that's going to happen very often at all. So, what 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 we're doing right now could look different, you sure. know, once they get their own recruits in the program and everything like that. Um, I'm more interested to to really get a study on what they're doing in the back end in the secondary, um, but again. They had a whole different group of players out there, so they had to. They might have had to change their game plan, like on Thursday. I mean, to a certain extent. Yeah. Which, without their defensive coordinator, without their cornerbacks coach, give a shout out to Jack Tyler. Apparently, he was the front man as far as calling plays goes. I mean, they said it was by committee, but from what I understand, it. No, we were told Jack Tyler was going to be <coughs> going to be the defensive coordinator. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. He was getting prepped. So. Well, That's a 29-year-old defensive coordinator two weeks in a row. <laughs> and, and a former Virginia Tech linebacker right. himself who played under Bud Foster. He's someone who's gotten a lot of praise even before this week, Jack Tyler, for the role that he He's plays. got a good future in coaching. Oh, he's he's most likely going to be Tech's next linebacker's coach. I mean, it's not like Tracy Clays is like a long-term hire. Yeah, Tracy yeah, Clays was, was come here to give some guidance to Hamilton in his first year. Tracy Clays is a good defensive coordinator. He will most likely be a defensive coordinator somewhere again very yeah, soon. Yeah. And when he moves on, Jack Tyler is probably going to take over as linebackers coach. Going back to the uh, defensive line, I want to talk about uh, Daryl Tapp here for a quick second. There was a couple of shots late in that fourth quarter of uh, Daryl Tapp on the sideline just amped up after a couple of sacks. Well, it feels like he provides some – he has an infectious energy about him that really showed – on the sideline. Do you feel like that's a good combo of tier link with NFL experience and, and tap with the, his former playing experience, but also that, that energy that he brings? Yeah, yeah. And, and I'll admit I'm a little wishy-washy when it comes to uh, – I think you need to strike a balance on your sideline with um, getting your players fired up and being fired up with them, but not being out of control, you know. And 
And I, I do not remember the context last year, but uh, there was a, a, a play where I think Virginia Tech got a turnover or something like that. And um, when the players came to the sideline, Justin Hamilton, must he, he showed some serious vertical. He was fired up. We, we've got the picture in our media library somewhere. And Justin Hamilton, as, as your safeties coach, um, that's good. But as your defensive coordinator, he needs to become a different guy. Mm-hmm. So there needs to be a balance between the, the guys who need to be keeping their heads and the guys who need to be acknowledging performance like what Daryl Tapp did. We were talking about Gerard Hewitt, and I remember – I don't remember exactly when Tapp did that, but I remember watching a sequence and thinking, that was a huge play by Hewitt. And Tapp met him right there on the sideline. It was after and, the fumble. It was and, that series. And, and, yeah. and Chess bumped him. And that that guy – I like that. When, when you do something good and your coach meets you on the sideline, and uh, Fuente did the same thing, and I don't even remember what. It was on a kickoff return. Yeah, he was out there on the field. Yep. Um, on a tackle when we made a good play on, on a yeah on a kickoff coverage. Excuse me. Yeah. A- acknowledge when a guy makes a play. You know. So anyway, uh, a kind of a roundabout answer. So that's that's my take is you have to have a balance of the guys who need to control the game and keep their heads, and the guys who can go ahead and be cheerleaders for the players. Yeah. Uh, I agree with that. I think it's perfectly acceptable for a defensive line coach to yeah, to yeah. to do that and encouraged sure. even. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, now the, the interesting thing about Tap is he was the guy in the booth. He left the booth in the middle of the game to come down. Did he really? Oh yeah. I mean, Tech doesn't have anybody else to put up there. Because I didn't um, get to listen to a lot of. It was announced before the game that he would be the guy in the booth. Like I think normally Ryan Smith will be the guy in the booth. And a normal with Justin Hamilton as defensive coordinator, you know. That is a really interesting anecdote. But, but yes. So, like, we never saw Tap on the sideline the whole game, and it was announced before the game that he would be the guy in the booth again. Uh, and then he left, apparently. Unless that information that Virginia Tech released was incorrect, but we never saw him on the sideline at all on camera until the fourth quarter, at least just from what I can recall. So, I think he just left. Interesting. Final question for the two of you before we get not, to those. He's not a booth guy anyway. You can't lock that. Well, in a booth. so so the question <laughs> becomes: if, if why was that decision made? Is right. that is, did Virginia feel like that's what that's what they needed at that moment? Um, because uh, well, Duke did score seventeen points in the fourth quarter. You yeah. know, so they they may have felt as a staff. That I like it. X's need, and O's was out the window at that point. And you need an yeah. energy guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Final question for the two of you, and then I promise we will get to those Facebook Live questions. You might have written about it in your article, or I might have been seeing this elsewhere. But uh, wrapping up with the headline of the week, Khalil Herbert, in the, in the week that he had, I want to get your thoughts on Adam Lechtenberg, first-year running backs coach for Virginia Tech. Remember last year we talked a lot about about a lot about getting the running game going the last couple of years, and then felt like McLeese started to get going after Jerry Kill was brought in. How much credit do you give Adam Lechtenberg for the job he's done reshaping the running back room uh, yeah. and the progress these running backs have made the first two weeks? Well, he identified very, very early that Khalil Herbert and Raheem Blackshear were two guys he wanted, and they went out and got him. Um, so, big credit for that. Big credit for that for just identifying the talent. Um, they appear to be well coached. Uh, I, I think. I do think Lechtenberg is like a good natural football coach. Um, and I think Virginia Tech got rid of the recruiter and hired the coach, and they're better for it. I'm not saying you don't need better recruiters on your staff and good recruiters and everything like that, but I think for Virginia Tech, coaching will always be more important than recruiting. And I think they've upgraded their coaching here. 
Um, I, I think one of the things you evaluate a position coach on is how much do his players improve over the course of their career, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And so, uh, so if Herbert goes from averaging 12.44 yards a carry to averaging 17 yards a carry, then <laughs> yeah. clearly Adam Lichtenberg is a great coach. It's hard to go up from 12, uh, <laughs> what, 12.44 yards a carry. Yeah. So, um, uh, how much of it is natural ability from those guys? How much of it is the offensive line? How much of it is Burmeister? I mean, you know? these two guys were good players before they got here, yeah. of course. And we knew that. Yeah. Well, there are two position groups that are standing out in the first two weeks of the season with new coaches of those position groups. That's the defensive line, and, of course, that's the running backs. That's a good point. Let's transition now to one of our favorite parts of the podcast, how we close each and every show. It's time for the Facebook Live questions from you, the viewers. You get to interact with Will and Chris to get your questions answered. Let's throw it over to the best producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart. Malcolm, how are you doing? How are the how are the chats today? Doing well. Uh, let's start with Wade Peril. Is it an overreaction to say Khalil Herbert should be in the running for Heisman Trophy right now? What kind of weekly performance do you think he will have to have from here on out in order to win? Uh between 100 and 200 yards every game, for sure, uh, to be in that conversation. If he was averaging 12.44 yards a carry for one of the SEC teams. Oh, yeah, they'd be talking about him like crazy. You know, he, um, he would be. He, he's he's going to be always going to be an under-the-radar guy because he came from Kansas. Uh, I thought his film from Kansas was like, go back and watch him play against BC last year when he rushed for like 190 yards, and you're like, that guy plays for Kansas? What is he doing <laughs> in Kansas? That guy's really, really good. But And they bumped him down in favor of someone else. Yeah, and uh, yeah, he was second string at Kansas uh, at, at the end of his career. Yeah. Um, but the thing, the thing is, sometimes you don't know how good a player is until he's surrounded by other good players. So, and that, that's not an opportunity you have at, at Kansas. And I, look, I, and I know Ryan Willis didn't have a great senior season, but. No, his his junior season showed he's quite a bit better than he showed at Kansas. Yes. When he wasn't particularly well coached and he didn't have particularly good receivers around him. So uh, you can't judge someone a lot of times. Uh, you know, they're going to have good games, but they're not going to be consistent because how could you be? Kansas isn't a consistent program. I mean, Herbert outscored Kansas by himself this past weekend. I mean, my goodness. Yeah. So. I thought Herbert was good coming in, but, you know, obviously he didn't get a single vote in, a, in all ACC or anything like that because he came from Kansas. You just so, assume, right? So to, so to answer the question directly, in order for him to get Heisman consideration, there's, there's a few things that need to happen. He needs to continue to be that productive, and he may need to continue returning kickoffs and be productive. And there, Tech has to win. There as well. Correct. Tech has to win, and he has to have a game – that draws the national attention. And what I'm talking about is 200-plus yards rushing against Miami. Or UNC. Uh, I don't know that UNC will be enough. You well, know, they're top 10. I think they'll start to notice him. If You're right. If, if, if he puts 150 or 200 up on UNC and Tech wins, then they'll start to notice him. And then if he keeps doing it and he has a similar game against Miami, you know, maybe then he gets in the conversation. Mm-hmm. But I think – I just think that a Justin Fuente offense – and I used to feel this about a Frank Beamer offense, it is just not a system that is set up to have a quarterback or a running back be in the Heisman consideration, never mind Virginia Tech not being as high profile as some SEC teams and that sort of thing. Yeah, like even, you know, people forget that until 1999, Frank Beamer only had one 1,000-yard rusher. Like even in those early years of the bowl era, like Dwayne Thomas rushed for 1,300 yards that first year, but then – 
655 yards leading the rusher in 94, 793, 890, 912, that 745. So that was five straight years of a leading rusher without of not going for 1,000 yards at Virginia Tech. So it's not like every Frank Beamer team, even in the 90s when they were known for running the ball, they, they didn't put 1,000-yard rushers out there. They, they did it by committee. Interesting. One thing I want to mention real quick about the, the Heisman Trophy, right? You look at the past winner since 2011, a quarterback has won it every year except for 2015 when Derrick Henry did it. Last year's winner, national champion, 2018 Kyler Murray, college football playoff. Baker Mayfield, 2017, college football playoff. Lamar didn't make it in 16, but they still won eight or nine games, and he was just unbelievable. He was, And, and yeah. I think they beat Clemson or something like that, yep. and that got the attention. And then 15 uh, Henry, Alabama, playoff. 14 Mariota, Oregon, playoff. So to ham- to to – emphasize the point you made Tech's going to have to continue to win and he's going to have to do it on the biggest of stages yeah like they're this weekend on ABC. The top 10 or something like that so yeah. it's tough for running backs to win the award period well, and when are they going to give the heisman trophy away this year normally it's, it's great normally it's no, normally i think it's like the weekend of december 12th Tech's still going to be playing that weekend against uva and then maybe they'll even have another game the next weekend. So they might not give out the Heisman Trophy until after Christmas this year. Yes, and in these uncertain times, right. who really knows? And, 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 how, and how can you give it to, like, an Ohio State player? Everybody else is playing 11, 12 games. How many is Ohio State going to play? Eight? Right. So maybe like all that. this is so, out the window. 2020 is just different. And Yeah. So uh, good well, question. Well, Appreciate it. was a good question. question. It got us going. Yeah, it sure did. All right, from – from Blake Branzell, why do you suspect Hooker didn't play despite Fuente saying both quarterbacks would play, and do you expect him to play this week? Well, Fuente said before the season both quarterbacks would play, and that was before both quarterbacks. That was before Hendon was out. Right. And, you know, Burmeister at that point, they weren't quite sure about his status. So with both quarterbacks 100% Fuente planned to play both quarterbacks. Uh, for my, I was told this before the game, about 15 or 20 minutes before the game, that Burmeister was going to start, Hooker was available, but they didn't feel comfortable playing him because he wasn't, they could tell in practice that he just wasn't there yet. Okay. So that's, um, that's the reason he didn't play. Yes, I do think you'll see him and this y- Saturday. Yes, I agree with that. And uh, I wonder uh, – you know, you still haven't seen Raheem Blackshear in the passing game. Mm-hmm. Uh, that That's still a tool in the toolbox. Um, so we'll, we'll see, but I think you'll see him Saturday. All right, and there's a couple of questions about Blackshear. Um, just generally, why haven't we seen much of him lately? Oh, is he coming back well, soon? I mean, it's like I said earlier. I mean, the guy was out 10 to 14 days straight before the NC State game. He got in a walkthrough the day before the NC State game, and then we got right into the action. And when you're a running back and you're getting hit on every play, and you miss that much time, you know it's just not it's just not in the cards for you to be a hundred percent right at the beginning of the season. It's the same thing. It's like uh, is when a player comes back from injury. Like a coach isn't gonna just give that guy twenty carries or throw him the ball twelve times before he gets into playing shape. Right, uh, you can you can come back and play you know a few snaps here and there if you've practiced in a limited way, but a coach isn't going to throw you back in there full bore until you've been able to practice a while because then you might get hurt. Um, and that was honestly that was a risk against NC State. Blackshear could have gotten hurt. He hadn't practiced in two weeks. Yeah, and throwing him out there, I think he what he had like he had like eight or. 
10 carries against no no maybe not no that a little smaller than it that. was like it was like six six or seven carries against. i thought it was herbert had six attempts for 100 yards and i thought blackshear had smaller than six i might look it up i think herbert had nine Herbert had oh. six against NC State. Okay. Yeah. okay. I've got it right here. Uh, uh, you know, but he was out there for, I think, 19 snaps total. And that's actually a decent amount for a guy who hadn't practiced in two weeks. Eight attempts, 28 yards, and a touchdown on the ground against NC State. Yeah. So, my bad. So, I'm going to tell you, man. It's a, His fo- time is coming. Football is a physical sport. And you don't want to throw somebody in there cold because you just you might get them hurt and, ma- and make it worse to begin yeah. with. So, uh they're taking it slow with him. They're letting him get back into football shape. And it was the same thing with Herbert. Fuente said after the NC State game that Herbert had barely practiced recently. Yeah. Missed a lot of time recently. So he only, he only got nine carries because of that against NC State. And then he got 19 the second game. Man, so, I'm getting fired up for Saturday's game. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I agree. Bro. I'm fired up I mean, for Thursday Virginia podcast. Tech's running game has been very good. And their top two running backs haven't even been – 100% in shape uh, yet. No, so, and not right. to mention that one other running back he's uh, splitting carries with is running for, you know, a hun- over 100 yards one game and over 200 yards the next game. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll do one more from Wade Peerle, and we'll switch the sport. Do we know when men's basketball starts yet? If yeah. so, when do you think you'll start previewing for the season? Was it November 25th? That the they're... College football – or excuse me, college basketball, I think, announced that their season is going to start – on November 25th, but we don't know if Virginia Tech's season will actually start on the 25th. Still no schedule. Maybe it'll start the 27th, 28th. We, we do know at some point they're playing in a made-for-television event up in uh, Hartford. Where do the Where's the Connecticut WNBA Somewhere in the – that's right, Connecticut. Yeah. Right, right. Um, it's at a casino. Um, it's a casino slash NBA. At least it's not a ballroom. <laughs> but I don't, I don't know who they're playing. <clears throat> I don't know if it's a tournament style. I assume it's a tournament style format. Um I don't know what the schedule is going to look like. No clue when it starts. Uh, I I would expect that you would think it would get released in the next few weeks, but I, I really don't know. Don't know anything about it, but I, I know look for it to begin, you know, that last week in November. So basically, oh, yes, it's the bye week. We don't have to do work. Oh, but basketball season starts. Right. So, yeah. Same as always. Yeah. Speaking of work, you guys are working really hard at TechSideline.com. Uh, and it's always more fun to do the work you guys are doing when Tech wins, as you said last week. Mm-hmm. So, Chris, what's coming up on TechSideline.com this week? What can the uh, the audience expect to help relive the win against Duke and then preview a big one against uh, North Carolina? Well, first of all, to finish answering his question, I don't know when basketball preview so we're going to start. Uh, <laughs> right? I mean, I'll tell you, be honest with you, I don't have time to do anything right now except football. So that's going to – I mean, it's it's – we're running so much football content this year that if I had to b- write a basketball pre- game preview this week, I couldn't do it. Oh. I wouldn't have the time. Um, well, we need to put a student to work on it. Then. Maybe, maybe we do. But, yep. but at any rate, coming up, we'll, we'll have Will today. Inside the numbers, as usual, Brandon Patterson. We've got Corey and Jake covering the press conferences the next two days. Another podcast on Thursday. Game preview on Thursday morning. Another Brandon Patterson for on Friday. A Q&A. Two Jason Stames. Normal man, we we are so good during football season. Yeah. We, we got some great writers, man. You know, it's it, it's good stuff. Thank God we're having a football season. Yes, so we can actually <laughs> use our strength. And hopefully, we're gonna have a wrestling season soon. Yes. Well, we talked about it last week on the podcast. So let's unveil it. Um, if you are a supporter of the Southeast Regional Training Center, this is what they're sending out this year: long sleeve. Um, 
which uh, the the wicking stuff. What do you call it? Um, dry. Dry, dry fit. Thank you. It is not a Nike dry fit, but it is a nice dry fit. And uh, this is going to go to Malcolm in the shape I'm currently in. I'm not going to wear this. <laughs> and, and Chris has plenty of uh, tech gear, so I'm going to pass this on to Malcolm. He'll look much better in it than I would. But uh, very cool. So uh, join up and uh, support the Southeast Regional Training Center and. And that's why Tony Roby rocks and rolls in recruiting. Because if, the, if you like talking about recruiting, follow woo. Virginia Tech Wrestling woo. Recruiting. If you want to hear about top five recruiting classes consistently. And, and the Southeast Regional Training Center and all the support people give to it is a is an enormous reason for why Virginia Tech does so well in recruiting and in wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, Tony Roby's done a great job raising funds for his own yeah. re- recruiting. Yeah. It's it's. He's he's a really good salesman when it comes to not only regular recruiting but also going out to fans and getting the donations that make that recruiting possible. Yeah. Okay, how can you say no to Coach Roby? Just one of the most nicest, most down to earth guys, and uh, hopefully we'll get him on a podcast sometime soon. So yeah, we got to nice. do that. So all right, well, uh, great week coming up on TechSideline.com. Great time to become part of the TechSideline family. Eighty four ninety nine is annual price, eight forty nine the monthly price, and twenty nine ninety nine the student price. Great deal. So um, we'll have a podcast on Thursday afternoon previewing Virginia Tech, North Carolina. I'll, we'll close the podcast with this. Give us a little bit of just a 30-second in a nutshell. Uh, how are you feeling 30, about the North 30 Carolina seconds, Chris. Asking us to do 30 seconds? Just, oh, uh, just a quick preview. What can we expect on the podcast high, Thursday? I, how are you feeling, Chris I feel Coleman? like it's going to be a high-scoring game. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't. Carolina's number one in rushing defense, but they've played two terrible rushing offenses. Uh, I think Tech's going to score a lot of points. If Virginia Tech throws two – true freshman and a walk-on out there against Carolina's receiving core and quarterback, which is much different animal than Duke. Carolina's going to score a lot of points. I mean, this one's, this one's going to be pretty high scoring. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. Um, the uh, super loud UNC crowd of uh, something like 3,800 fans, I think is what they're going to 3,500. It's also supposed to rain. Mm. 80 percent chance of rain at this point yeah so. uh, unfortunately like i think it's later in the day and the game is at noon games at noon on abc yeah well looking forward to our podcast on thursday hope you can join us and i know malcolm said during the break we had a lot of north carolina based questions folks come join us on thursday afternoon we'll get to all those questions it's going to be a great podcast all right any closing thoughts before we sign off gentlemen i don't think so Winning sure beats the heck out of losing. It does indeed. That's the quote of the day. That'll do it for us, episode 138 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Reminder, if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to hit the like and subscribe button. And thanks so much for following along. We'll be back on Thursday. Reminder, follow at Tech Sideline on Twitter and Facebook to stay up to date with everything going on with Virginia Tech football and Virginia Tech athletics. And that'll do it for us, for our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart, the best producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart. I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes, saying so long. Thanks so much for watching and listening to episode 138 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you on Thursday. Thank <laughs> you.